Welcome back to Night Cheese. This is Steven. And I'm Tim. And I'm Jared. And welcome back to this week's episode entitled Side Effects May Include. Uh, We are going to be exploring the Netflix original film, The Woman in the Window, uh, starring Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, and uh, many more. Uh, We'll be talking about that tonight. And uh, it's Hitchcockian influences and... um, and all the things that come along with this film. So, um, I think we can we can kind of jump in. You know, it's a so it, for those of you who may not be aware, the woman in the window is a uh, fairly new release. It was released uh, this year in 2021. Uh, it is available on Netflix. Um, it was originally intended to be a theatrical release in 2019. Um, however, it was forced into reshoots uh, due to uh, poor test screening reception. Um, and then COVID-19 hit in 2020 when it was got its second release date. And then by that point, rather than releasing it in theaters, uh, Netflix bought it and has now distributed it uh, onto its platform. So for those of you who have Netflix subscriptions, it's available right now to watch. Um, guys, what were your uh, what were your impressions uh, before I get into like the, the ratings and stuff? Because I'm I'm curious to hear that first before we talk about it this time. Um, I hated this movie so much. <laughs> I really did. Just like an all time top 10 hated this thing. I, Whoa. it's probably, probably like to an unreasonable level. Um, every, every character just, just got on my nerves. Um, no one outside of the one cop was, was even remotely likable to me. And then even like once we found out, the protagonist's backstory of what happened, then I'm like, all right, well, I don't really like you either. I don't care what happens to you. Um, it, it, it just made me tense. Like at any time it was tense when she was by herself. It was tense when there were two characters together. Um, I don't know. It just, it just gave me this uncomfortable feeling all the way through. Uh, a lot of the stuff, like I figured out just early on, uh, or I was one, one thing I was positive about and uh, another thing I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is what it is, but we'll see. There was what, like one wrinkle to it that I didn't, um, didn't expect. Um, I, I just, I feel like it was just like great actors that probably got, uh, a, a, a good amount of money for a limited amount of work to, to do the movie. It just felt, they felt wasted to me. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I had a very, very mixed feelings. Like I feel like uh, early on some of the kind of the initial the premise, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't mind. It was kind of intriguing, but I feel like as it went on, I just got more and more disappointed with it. Um, as far as like, you know, the just the kind of the way they revealed things, like the way they kind of revealed her uh, backstory, you know, and I, I don't know, just... And especially like, you know, the last kind of act where they kind of made like a really abrupt ending where they kind of explain everything really quickly. And there's just a very abrupt ending. I don't know. There's just a lot of things about it that I felt like were problems. But I feel like the initial there's a somewhat of an initial sort of promise, like where there is something that could be there. Um, But I ultimately was really yeah, I was really disappointed. Um, Yeah. What about you, Stephen? (laughs) Um, You know, so I didn't know hardly anything about this. Um, this film was recommended to us by a friend of the show, uh, Michael Farmer from Before They Were Live. And uh, 
I think w- with, without condition or anything. I don't even remember Michael telling us anything about his opinions of the film, but just like, hey, this seems like something you guys might have a good episode with or something. Um, I, I can't remember his words exactly. Yeah, me neither. Uh, and, and, and we'll see, and we'll see if that remains to be true by the end yeah. of the episode. Um, for better or worse, it could make a great episode. Um, so I, you know, I, I think we watched the trailer. My wife and I watched the trailer for it, and it certainly is the kind of movie that um, I would really be interested in. Um, you know, this this movie pulls a lot from uh, Hitchcock's greatest hits, uh, yeah. Psycho, not included. Um, but it really like like the the main pulse of the plot really I mean it, it, it's almost rear window um, yeah it's almost basically rear window there's some vertigo and some north by Northwest in there as well um, in spots and um, it's not it, it's not bad to to give an homage to better works you know that came before you um, I'm not against that in any way Um but one thing that I'll say, um, and I'm sure more will come because I'm having a hard time wrestling my thoughts on this. Um, like Tim said, kind of mixed um, because I because I liked it fine um, the first time I watched it. Um, but with movies like this that I really enjoy, when when the overall product of the film hinges a lot on a plot twist, um, that can that really makes replay value really challenging. Um, and so your performances have to really be a game performances to drive you to want to watch it again. And um, my uh, one of my favorite um, plot twist heavy, I say plot twist heavy, but 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 films that hinge on a giant plot twist. One of my favorite movies in that sort of made up genre there is uh, The Usual Suspects from 1995. And I've watched that movie dozens of times um, because for, you know, (laughs) um, for for what it's worth, regardless of the man that he is now or has been found out to be, Kevin Spacey's performance was out of this world. Um, that movie, I heard Kevin Pollock's, uh, in that cast say one time, you knew that movie was special because we even got a great performance out of Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> and, um, and he's, and, and he's right. Like, That's I mean, awesome. you go back, but Benicio del Toro, uh, Gabriel Byrne, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm praising a movie that we're not even talking about tonight, but, but, but the point I'm trying to get to is that I can watch that over and over again because the performances are spellbinding and I, and I know in my sleep, uh, the, 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 the dialogue of that movie and the plot twist coming a mile away. This one, um, I, I'm kind of astounded and I don't know, cause this is based off of a novel. Um, if it is the fault of the novel, if it is kind of like, um, Jared said, like cast showing up for, for not a lot of work, maybe phoning it in, but uh, just just real quick, I want to go over this cast again. You have Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, um, funny, we just did Falcon Winter Soldier a couple of episodes ago, Anthony Mackie and Wyatt Russell, both in this film, Mm -hmm. uh, Julianne Moore. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee. So like, yeah, you know, no one really, it, it is kind of the Amy Adams show. Um, everybody else does kind of just drop in for a minute and, and jumps back out. And, and, um, so she really does carry the whole movie. So I don't, I, for, for my, for my side of things, I wouldn't want our listeners to think 
I didn't enjoy this movie and it's Amy Adams fault. I actually liked her portrayal of this character um, dealing with this, you know, agoraphobic woman who was a child psychologist who, who is being haunted um, mentally and physically uh, and emotionally by all these things. And I think she plays that off really well, but I don't know. I feel like she did. She kind of overachieved in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe the material underachieved, um, I guess that's kind of where yeah. I fell on it. And yeah. Since I didn't have anything to look at, look to the first time I saw it, I was like, you know what? Not bad. I, that, that's, you know, I enjoyed it. That was good. You know, look at my, my wife and I look at each other after the current store. I was like, you know what? That was pretty good. And I think it was a blessing in disguise that this movie hit all the obstacles it did. Um, because I think if I paid money <laughs> to go see that in a theater and left, I would be more upset mm -hmm. having paid $12 just to see that one movie. I'd rather pay $15 to see that and a dozen other movies in the same period with my Netflix subscription. I thought that was, I, I thought it was, it was quite passable for a Netflix original movie. However, I expected, you know, the further I get away from it, the more I expected out of that cast. You know what I mean? Like, this is Gary Oldman, dude. Like, you know, he's serious black, Commissioner Gordon, Dracula. Yeah. And I know that I just named his probably three most fantastical, ridiculous roles. He's, <laughs> he's, he's played Winston Churchill and stuff like that. But, I mean, still, he loses himself in all those roles. And, like, his performance, I'm, you know, the more I think about it now, being removed from it, I'm kind of like, you know, anybody could have played that. Yeah. You know? Um. And that's not, you know, it's not a slam on any of the performers, really. Well, I thought Wyatt Russell was was good and for what he was, but he was, like I said, he's only there for a short time. Mm -hmm. Everybody was, except for Amy Adams. And yeah, so I'm I'm not faulting the cast, at least. I, I think they either they either did better than than the script would allow them to, which was still not a lot, or the script wouldn't allow them to tap into what really makes them great as a performer. Um, yeah. That's how I feel about it in this moment. I don't know. I agree. Yeah. I do feel like for the, 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 the caliber of cast. Yeah. I think it was the material that kind of left, left a lot wanting for sure. And I wonder, you know, cause I mean, just reading, you know, going kind of, kind of reading a little bit of the, the backstory, you know, how it was shot. I mean, it was, I think it's 2018, 2019 and how um, it just went through like all these delays and reshoots and um, you know, they kind of all these, a lot of test audience, they showed it to were really confused, <laughs> confused and not really understanding what was going on. I wonder, I don't know, like how much that kind of muddled things even more. Well, and, you know, you have to measure that against the fact, too. So, like, we talk about her being agoraphobic and, and, and being the psychologist. But but not only that, she's she's heavily medicated almost the whole movie and an alcoholic. Um, yeah. uh, so um, it's weird. I guess it's the alcoholic in her saying this. But, like, at one point she's talking to – I don't know if she's talking to herself or um, talking to another character. But – they mention her medication and how she shouldn't drink with it. And she's like, they say that with all the medications or something. And I'm like, aren't you like a licensed psychologist? Like, you know, aren't you smart enough to know that that's not a good idea? Or is that just the 
the substance abuse in you talking. I, I, I don't know, but but I think that um, one thing I thought the movie did well, maybe too well, considering the confusion that that so many audiences experienced, was sort of creating that confusing environment, trying to put you in her shoes. Like these days pass, and and she just kind of wakes up in in the middle of a scene, almost. You know, mm-hmm. um, she's seeing things that you don't really know are there or not there. Um, it would have been nice for there, and maybe, maybe maybe there was, and I just didn't pick up on it. But it would have been nice for there to be some kind of an anchor, yeah, for her or something in the movie for you to be able, kind of like Inception, yes. for you to sort of look at to to be able to measure is this real or is it not, or at least enough to make you think you know whether it's real or not. Yeah, yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, I did appreciate. I did. Li- I did appreciate the fact that yeah, it's an unreliable like protagonist, like you. So when she is, you know, saying these things or ex- watch observing these things, I, I did appreciate it. Oh yeah, we, she could be crazy, you know, she could be, could all be in her head, that sort of thing. So there is there are aspects of it that I, I thought did a pretty good job of, um, just yeah, making you question pretty much everything. I mean, there were points where like, is there even a, a person living in her basement? You know, what I mean, I was like, yeah. what of this is happening at all? So I did kind of like that that it kind of did leave a lot to you were questioning a lot throughout the film yeah I, I like you said i wish we had gotten sort of some sort of anchor or some sort of reveal as to you know what was real because part of what was frustrating for me and you know the only excuse i could make for it was maybe this is just her distorted perception but when she's phoning the police and the police about a murder and the police are having the potential murderer come to her house, the entire family come to her house. And then like they're tag teaming with the police to be like, Oh, maybe, maybe you're crazy. Like the lead detectives just immediately like you're crazy lady. I mean, not exactly in those words, but more or less. Mm -hmm. And so that was just really frustrating because it's like, you know, obviously this, this wouldn't happen, but I mean, is, are you, are you, how much are you distorting this? Yeah. But these, these people wouldn't even be there in the first place. So are you completely imagining yeah. the, the whole family mm-hmm. being there? And, and, and you never really get answers to, to some of that. Yeah. So the that way the police hard. treated her, mm-hmm. I, I got the impression, this is the impression that I got, but I feel like the movie could have done a better job is that this is not the first time they've come to her house to have to deal with something. And they've already written her off as, crazy alcoholic overprescribed lady. Um, and it probably would have done the audience a lot better for them to show a scene or two of her actually hallucinating something mm-hmm. only for it not to be real. Cause like, I mean, I feel like, you know, this, this cry wolf scenario could have paid off a lot more mm-hmm. and created more tension too. Yeah. Um, when she actually is right about something she sees, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, See, I, I don't know because th- there is a point where the police reference her accidentally calling 911 when, you know, when her tenant is down um, downstairs, uh, Wyatt Russell's character. And so they reference that. And of course, that was just like an accident. She immediately was like, no, sorry, false alarm. So it seems like. If they had interacted with her, though, they would have referenced more than that, though. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, very quickly, but maybe not exactly uh, decisively kind of show her as a little trigger happy with her yeah. panic. Um, and 
speaking of the police scene that the <laughs> there's a point I'm trying to remember now, uh, but like we're basically one of the officers like kind of like, you know, gets kind of upset and, you know, makes some remark, but like, you know, your family's dead or I can't remember how she was. Yeah. It. Yeah. But first oh, of all, yeah. That's like who, what police person would do that. But then the fact <laughs> that they use that to like go, cause like, you know, the whole, the whole film or up until that point, you're like, okay, you know, obviously something she's affected by something, something that's happened, or at least that's what you kind of were supposed to think. But then for there to be like no real kind of build up or no sort of like, I mean, you see the occasional like snowfall, but that, I mean, really what, how much, <laughs> that's not giving anything away, but then to go just abruptly to that moment and you see it all, it's just ah, something about it just really, really felt off. And it tells me a focus group was like, was her husband and child really alive? <laughs> They're like, oh, oh crap. We, <laughs> we got to film this scene of them, the exact yeah. thing happening. That, and, and put it in the living room. <laughs> Right. Yes. Oh, that yeah, really, that really that irked car me. in the living room. <laughs> exactly. I'm just, um, uh, that, I, yeah. I had <laughs> imagined it as, so like from very early on, I'm like, okay, so they're yeah. dead. Um, yeah. but, but I had, I had no idea how that happened. And like, it almost like the way the snow was falling, I was, it was this weird thing where I was like imagining like, her kid being on this like carousel or something. I don't know how I got that image in my mind, but, but it was like the snow was like swirling or something. And so I was just like, what I had imagined in my mind was like, they were just outside on a playground or something. And there was like a drive by shooting or, or something that, that killed uh, the two of them, which that part ended up not being right. But, yeah. I mean, listen, I came around by the end of the movie, but in the moment when when you know they do that flashback, you know she doesn't gain any sympathy points right. for for losing her family. I mean, she's you know the reason that they die, and not only you know it, it'd be one thing, you know we're we're going to start spoiling this movie. I mean, we already have to say that her family said, I guess, but but how can you talk <laughs> about a movie like this without doing it? Is it you know they flash back to you know they have this car accident off the side of a snowy mountain and stuff, but the reason that it happens is because it's revealed that she had been cheating on her husband and you are led to believe that the other man is calling her mm-hmm. while they're on the road. And she's obsessed with trying to answer the phone, like with her kid in the back. Yeah. You know. this, and this is the second straight movie I should point out where we've had distracted driving be the catalyst for terrible <laughs> events. <laughs> oh gosh. Distracted driving and sexual misconduct are not too. Yeah, uh, right. Both. Yeah, are, are not are, are not good behaviors to to replicate in any way. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's uh, oh gosh. And, and, and I know this might be going too far. Maybe where I'm jumping too much. You know, early on, but that so I get you know someone you know she goes through a really bad event and the film kind of like you know you see her in this you know, this kind of really, really bad state, you know, where she's suffering from the agoraphobia and just, you know, drinking and really not who she needs to be. I mean, she talks about how she's a child, child psychologist. Is that? Yeah. yeah. Making sure that's the right word. Um, but obviously, you know, she's not doing anything, you know, and you'd think that the main plot would kind of serve as a way to kind of help her work through that what's haunting her. And I mm-hmm. feel like both those plots, there's never any con- there's never any sort of like catharsis or like climax where she achieves something to kind of move past 
what happened in her past and what she's suffering with currently. Um, right. Yeah, she just kind of seems to let it go when she yeah. when she escapes with her life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it it didn't seem like oh something she learned something or she was she went through something that helped her kind of work through that. It just showed her kind of leaving hey, the house calmly. Look, look, yeah, I don't know. Look, 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 Tim, you take a you take a gardening tool to the face. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna get you to reexamine a lot that, of things again. <laughs> that kind of brutality seemed really out of place. <laughs> That scene, that was a Zack Snyder move, right? There. It was so out of place. Yeah. That was a, it was so jarring. And I mean, I was like, oh my god, oh cool. Yeah, Wait, never, how do I feel about this? I don't think I've ever seen that kind oh, of man particular violence. If yeah. if I understand towards a helpless woman, yeah, yeah. I want to say I'm pretty sure that last bit, maybe the last twenty or thirty minutes. I'm, I want to say those. I think I'm pretty sure are part of the reshoots, but mm-hmm. it still doesn't really. I, it reminds me. I don't know that. Of that episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes and rewrites Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with Mel Gibson. Then he turns the uh, last act of the movie into a shootout in, in uh, Congress. It, it had to be. It had to. That had to be part of the reshoots because that yeah. felt so, so out of place. So off, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And plus, and plus the rest of the movie, there had been only really one, I guess you could count the downstairs as a second set, Mm -hmm. but there had really just been those sets. I mean, even they, they avoided built, you know, they put the car wreck in the living room to avoid having another set. So I feel like they were like, okay, we can get away with this with like one and a half sets. And then they had to come back and and build one for the reshoot. I know that the rooftop was a part of the novel. I mean, you know, so, but still I think the fight, Never, nevertheless, is it's a bit much because you see the the initial murder that she witnesses from across the street from a distance, and other than that, she just kind of cuts her finger on a broken glass. Right, and then like the next time, I mean, I might be forgetting a lot because I watched the set. My second viewing was pretty late at night. I was a little sleepy myself, um, but I don't remember yet. I feel like we jumped from that to you know, garden tool to the face. Um, oh man, pretty, pretty wild. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say in, in defense of the movie, like, and which is a shame. Cause I wonder if this was maybe intended to be the original sort of emotional bow on it was her was, was what was intended to be her suicide note. Um, which I thought was the closest she came to kind of in the eyes of the viewer, redeeming herself mm, from, yeah being responsible for that. And I, and I, and I dug around, I couldn't find the dialogue from it, from it. But when she, um, is recording this message, um, she just said, I, I I'm going to be putting words in her mouth cause I can't remember what she said, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, the only thing I want to make right, there's no way for me to do it, you know? And, and, um, you know, her owning that and everything I, I thought was, really cathartic and, and, and therapeutic. And, and, uh, and then, the, and then, you know, the whole chaos of the, the last, uh, sequence kind of gets started after that. And I thought it was going to be pretty interesting because, you know, it's revealed that the son, which by the way, again, child psychologist yeah. gets played by the kid. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which maybe that's clever. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that sarcastically, but anyway, it, it's it's there. Um, and, you know, I thought that he was going to, you know, roll up on her and the suicide note was going to have implicated her as 
the um, as the as as killing the uh, Wyatt Russell and stuff, or, or, or that no, that she was going to have implicated him because she thought he had killed him at that point, and not yet known that it was the kid who who was the kid anyway. Uh, I thought I thought that basically the kid was going to end up getting away with it because she would die, and then the um, <clears throat> Wyatt Russell's character would be framed for it because she would have recorded a video implicating him and all this other stuff. Anyway, but um, yeah, it gets really wild in that last <laughs> sequence, like uh, uncharacteristically wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and all the other stuff is. You know, the gardening tool to the face was like was a jarring moment. But then like she really turns into a sort of an action star where she she has the presence of mind to actually like drag him over and shove him through the window of or yeah. the skylight or whatever, you know, so. Yeah, interesting. And again, going back to that whole idea of like somehow trying to find healing and like there being some sort of working through her past, like in the end, she's just killed another person. I mean, like even though she was defending herself <laughs> and it's gotta be traumatizing, like to, you know, who have, you know, but intentionally moving. Say what? But she's at peace. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing I have to, I'm like, Oh man, I feel like not that. I mean, I feel like she was in that situation, obviously, you know, she was defend whatever, but it, I don't know. I don't know if she'd be okay. You know, I don't know. It, it didn't, She's still dealing. I mean, she's the loss still happened, you know, from her past. I don't know. It's not like any of that really kind of helped her move on. I don't know. It it just to me, I'm just. I would have loved there to be more like connective tissue of something that she's going through now, kind of helping that, helping her. And I, I feel like they tried to bridge that gap with the one good cop coming to talk mm. to her when she's in the hospital. Yeah, mm-hmm. but even then, they didn't. I feel like they maybe should have had more of a relationship. Like, I mean, like not, you know, not relationship, but, you know, just even more time spent together mm-hmm. to earn that trust. So any kind of encouragement coming from him might have carried a little more weight to it. Um, yeah, they tried, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I will say one of the things that. Jared said, you know, as, as a criticism in the beginning, the, like the tension a lot and, and the scenes and stuff, I thought this is, Tim's going to call me a hypocrite here because I blasted uh, <laughs> uncut, uncut gems oh. for, for the same <laughs> no. thing. Um, but I thought this was exe- I thought that was executed really effectively. Um, not to the level uncut gems did, but um, there was that one long shot where they were just slowly zooming in on her and every other character was slowly like being cut out of the shot mm-hmm. um, when she was kind of like, I, I don't know. I thought that was maybe <laughs> I didn't love it in the sense that it made me feel good, but I thought it might've been the best shot scene of the movie, like where it's really like communicating how alone mm-hmm. she really feels yeah. Yeah. in, in her, in I hate the phrase her truth, but you know, and in, in in the truth, in the truth of what she knows, you know, cause mm-hmm. everyone else has already written her off and like, yeah. she's just more and more isolated the more she's talking and stuff mm-hmm. and she knows what she's seen and everything. And so anyway, it's uh, I thought that was really, really well done. Um, <clears throat> you know, won't help you sleep at night or anything, but it was, um, but, but I thought that particular, uh, scene was executed really well. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Parts of it were like, 
uncomfortable in a good way. I think just mm-hmm. because there was nothing for me to like, I don't know that there was hardly any point where I didn't feel uncomfortable with the movie and, and like in a different, I don't know, it was almost like worse than a horror movie for me because like a horror movie you're you're removed to a certain extent and this like I, I think part of me just kept thinking like oh my gosh i would hate to live here i would hate to live like across the street from like the the weird kid is coming over and then the 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 mom who looks like she's about to have a nervous breakdown the dad's clearly abusive you've got this tenant in the basement that's kind of weird and this before we really um, knew about him, but you know, we had seen Wyatt Russell from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And so you already like, felt put off. So, you so you're him. already put off by him. <laughs> and so it was almost like, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I guess you could say it was, you know, effective um, in sort of like putting me in that situation, but it was just like, no, no, no. You know, I hope that Wyatt Russell doesn't start getting typecast because if you think about it, he really was playing a John Walker character because he was somebody who technically after it's all said and done had good intentions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he had a checkered past. Yeah. And he explains to you, the audience, the justification behind his checkered past, Uh, but you're not entirely sure if you believe him or not. Oh, and he's, (laughs) and he's got a temper. Like, like, like even if you, sort of put aside most of that little blow up he had then like at the end he puts his arm up to block her from leaving you know and he's like are we good you know so (laughs) like it's it seems like you're looking for a specific answer there buddy you know so (laughs) yeah really um oh man and i think you know all that aggression all that male aggression in the movie, if you think about it, you know, other than the, the nice, the, the nice cop, every other man in that movie really is aggressive in one form or another. And, mm-hmm. and Amy Adams is such a, you know, fragile little woman the whole time, either, either because of her medication or her trauma or both um, in different scenes. Like she's always like this, she seems like this like requiem for a dream version of the of the princess and enchanted that she played like just kind of like on just hanging by a thread um the whole time but still that really oh you know kind of thing um so like any like you could just look her in the eye and yell boo and she dropped dead you know it's just a lot of tension there um so yeah, it's 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 wild. The um before before I forget, just just a, as a point of reference. So currently, um, or at least at the time of of the of the writing that that I'm reading this, um, its its percentage on Rotten Tomatoes was 26, percent um, which again is is lower than Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, um, <clears throat> but still pretty close to Hook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's at a, it's at a forty one on Metacritic and a five point three for the user score. Okay, so yeah, twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes for critics, thirty six for for users. Um, yeah, so it I could let's see what was it, what what was the IMDb score again? Um, five points. Yeah, so middle of the road for IMDb. 
which I think that tracks. I, I, I think it's a middle-of-the-road movie because, I mean, I think it does execute some things really well, but it's kind of one of those that you, you're you um the sounds meaner than i mean it to be but you're probably going to remember this movie of a higher quality the sooner you forget it um yeah like don't think too hard yeah. about it um and maybe you'll come away with a little more appreciation for it and i just don't know who to blame like yeah. i mean the people the people that i have talked to that have read this novel seem to appreciate it I haven't read it, so I don't know exactly what was cut out or what didn't translate well yeah. from book to screen. Uh, the actors themselves, I mean, you know, it wasn't like last week when we talked about Army of the Dead and, you know, it was easy to shred some yeah. of the actors' performances. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, and the plot itself, I mean, listen, it's not the best thriller plot that's out there, but it was fine. I, I thought, um, at least, you know, in this plan, it's based on something that people appreciate. So, um, yeah. yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I feel like I didn't ask this question pointedly, but we've probably talked around it. So coming back to it, like Tim, where, where do you think the disconnect was? I, you know, I wonder that too. I feel, I wonder, so, you know, Fox 2000, so I was reading, you know, doing a little bit back, you know, looking into it. And apparently Fox 2000 bought the movie rights from the author who, you know, the pen name is AJ Finn, but the other is a guy named Dan Mallory. They bought the movie rights before the book was even published. Um, which I, I mean, I guess that happens. I don't know. I, yeah, I have no idea, but if it felt like one of those films that was kind of riding the waves of other movies, kind of like it, like girl on a train. And there's another film too, where it's kind of about, uh, a female protagonist, a woman who sees something, but just for, you know, just for a variety of reasons, you know, people are not believing her, but then in the end, she's kind of vindicated and the police apologize. Um, so I wonder if they were just kind of going off the, you know, it's like, okay, this is a film that kind of fits that same formula and that mm-hmm. film was successful. So this one, if we just do it and the, and again, I, I don't, like you said, I haven't read the books. So I don't know. And I know people that have liked the book, but it felt kind of like it wasn't, they bought it before it even was released. So it was almost like, Oh, we, we know we're going to want to do this because other films have done well, but this, so maybe this one will as well. <laughs> but yeah, you know. I, I think that was part of the frustration <clears throat> for me was, you know, like with this sort of rear window concept, you know, like, okay, someone's going to die. She's going to be <laughs> the only one to see it. People aren't going to believe her. And so we, we know a lot of, you know, what the setup and progression is going to be. So what you deliver with it is going to have to be really good to, you know, make that worth it. So, and and you're right. I mean, to a certain extent, um, that's true of almost every movie, but I think with this type of movie, especially where, you know, you, you've only, you really only have one set that you're working off mm-hmm. of and it's mostly one character. Like you, you've got to deliver more to kind of, um, keep me engaged on it. And so just with all the other things with not really liking any of the characters, um, and just sort of having this uncomfortable feeling on almost every interaction. Um, I think it just, it wasn't able to over get over that yeah. initial, you know, hurdle of like, okay, I already know the, the, the premise here of roughly what we're going to get, what, what are you going to deliver? Um, that's different. Uh, what did, what did you think yeah. of, um, I think maybe we touched on this before, but 
or just touched on it in the sense of kind of getting that exposition dump with the kid. What, what did you think of, you know, sort of that, that reveal with him there? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, like from a, from a storytelling standpoint, I didn't mind it. I mean, I thought that was an interesting twist. Um, the the guy who, who plays the kid, I, I don't remember his name. I mean, I did not find him particularly menace, menacing. And it kind of reminded me of, did you ever watch the Edward Norton movie, Primal Fear? That's a long time ago. It was uh, uh, another, another mid-90s. Okay, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> I might suggest we cover that one day. Um, Richard Gere and uh, Edward Norton. It's, it's a courtroom drama. It was really good. Um, anyway, the way he plays, um, the way he plays that kid, and then when he kind of makes that turn, to be the to be that reveal, I I don't know. I just didn't. I know that she, you know, you know, they they play Amy Adams to be vulnerable, which, and all, for all intents and purposes, she should be because she's under the influence for almost the entire movie, um, uh, under one substance or another. So that could make her both physically, mentally, and emotionally vulnerable to a manipulative person. Um, but if she were even the slightest bit sober, I just don't see how she could view him as a threat like he didn't look that menacing to me um and i may just not be recalling him correctly i mean i understand what the story tells me he did you know and stuff but like even if i'm going through a bunch of terrible stuff and you know quarantine and covid has really messed up my head a little bit and i find out this kid's been messing with me i'm like Punk, try something like I, will, I don't need to take you up to the roof to put you down. Like, I mean, we can, we can handle this right now, you know, like, yeah. and so it's just, you know, yeah. it, it's, it, it, he just, I, I just wasn't that threatened by him. I, I made for a nice, nice surprise, um, narratively, but I, yeah, I just didn't. And it's not that I didn't buy it. Uh, you know, I thought it was, it was, it was fine as a twist and everything. Um, to explain how all the other things happened and how it tied in, you know, the murder that she did see and all this other stuff. But um, but him as a threat to her, like, no. Because he was, like, holding a knife, I think. Yeah, he did have a big knife, yeah. Okay. Like, like if they'd given him a gun, maybe <laughs> I'd have been a lure. I'm like, there's enough stuff in this house for me to disarm <laughs> the knife. Mm-hmm. And- and I may throw just, this MacBook at you and, you know, disarm your knife. Yeah. yeah. And this is maybe just because we're on a roll kind of critical, you know, but like <laughs> the whole kind of, so the surprise of him being the killer is, was interesting, but the way he kind of like revealed everything else that like sh- you would have hopefully, you know, maybe found out a little bit along the way. I don't know. Yeah. But the, and also the way he just kind of talked a lot. I don't, to me, I was just like, all right, just keep talking. Let me get this wine bottle. I don't know. Like it felt very, very kind of. I don't know what the right, like just, just, yeah. One of those killers that just talks a lot. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not as nervous about you. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was a lot of monologuing for him not to have her restrained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I'm sure that may have happened in a lot of things. In I her apartment, critical, I might add. Yeah. So like yeah. her literal home turf. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Even though he had been apparently stalking her and like being there, so I'm sure he knew of some things. But I mean, still, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure where I land on that. But <laughs> I, I, I'm also much larger than Amy Adams is, so I wouldn't be threatened by by that kid. But still, yeah, I, don't know. I just feel like it kind of that along with other. That was one surprise, I guess, that was interesting. But there are a lot of surprises in the film that were kind of told to you. Like, you know, the, her fan, you know, the backstory, I don't know, just instead of it kind of, yeah, kind of flowing, kind of there being this flow to it where you kind of either gradually learn about things or it's, it's something, I don't know, something kind of within the story itself. I don't know. Like the, yeah. the police person saying your family died. That to me is like very lazy, a lazy way of revealing that. I don't know. Well, at yeah. least they showed us that eventually. Yeah, like, yeah that's true. <laughs> they didn't show us any of the yeah. development between that kid's biological mother and mm-hmm. the family and stuff like like, yeah. oh, you saw her die because X, Y, Z, starting yeah. 10 years ago, this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I mean, did you guys run out of money, I guess? Yeah, it, it was <laughs> it was strange. Like, well, and it, it just, you know, it violates the basic, like, show, don't tell. Um, the only, the only good a uh, movie or TV show that I've seen do this effectively where they repeatedly violate that rule, but they do it in a fantastic way due to the, the writing and the acting is the leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and they'll rather than show you it'll just be, you know, a close up on two people having a conversation and, and it's amazing. Um, but normally, yeah, you want to, you want to show, um, not tell. Yeah, that kid. I will say for that kid, though, I don't, maybe he has like some, you know, master ninja jujitsu stuff. Because if you think back to him killing his birth mom, like it was really just like a little partition separating that was what was hiding him. And like she was getting thrown and stabbed all over the place without him ever moving to see any part of his body. So he has to just be. It was his, uh, it's that Mortal Kombat power. What was that called again? That's his like, chakra or his arcana or something. Arcana, yeah. 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 <laughs> Man, well, well, I'll take it back. Now I am kind of intimidated. <laughs> right, right. I thought back to that. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. He must be, he's he's so deceptive because yeah. he doesn't look intimidating. And I, you, you initially meet him, he's like, you know, he almost comes across like he's on the autism spectrum or something. And he's like super interested in like the cat and this, that, and the other, he's got allergies with the cat. And then all of a sudden, no, turns out he's, he's like, uh, you know, Dex, <laughs> Dex, Dexter ahead of his time here. You I'll, know? I'll say this. Um, one thing that a friend of mine told me about the novel that they had expanded upon his sort of invasiveness and stuff like that with her. Mm. And, I think they did a better from from what I understand they did a better job job in the novel of um kind of dropping those breadcrumbs about him because at one point the cat gets injured or something during one of her spells where she's out blacked out and comes back or whatever and at one point she sees him and he comes to visit and then he asks how the cat is doing uh-huh. but so like he kind of trips up in that moment. She, but she's still in that questioning moment where she's like, yeah, you know, I was the only one who knew that he was hurt. Like what happened? I didn't tell anybody, yeah, yeah. you know, 
that always always that criminal that criminal mistake of of confessing something that only the investigators know. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you know it would have been nice to to do that, but I think they wanted to hold all their clues close to the chest to get that big reveal at the end. But um, <clears throat> the thing the thing the uh, one more thing that I wanted to kind of complain about at least is that poor Amy Adams, like her character, the whole movie is not being believed not only about not witnessing a murder, but that the existence of this person is even real. And finally she's going through her, you know, iCloud or something. I don't know. And, and finds a picture where the woman is reflected in a wine glass and she gets an actual physical representation of who this woman was that was killed. And so she calls, you know, <clears throat> Wyatt Russell up to say, hey, hey, you know, the, the, she's real here. First of all, <laughs> abrasive to the end. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, yeah, that was her. And like, and I'm like, okay, cut the promo on her or something. Like, I mean, like, you know, you know, she's been upset about this. Um, but anyway, you know, so finally she is validated and the one piece of evidence she finally has to vindicate herself to the police. And she just barely rests the edge of the laptop on the edge of her desk. So that will fall off and crack. And I'm like, I don't even know my, my nine year old won't, won't rest a laptop on the edge of a table. Um, like, like, and I mean, I don't care how drugged up you are. If, if you had to have had that moment of lucidity to realize that you can prove you're not crazy. I would most gently and carefully put that thing down to make sure and back up that file and everything to make sure I had copies of it. And I know it happened because the story needed to have it happen, but, uh, and uh, I, yeah, yeah, that also annoyed me too. That was, that was all also at a point where I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, for, forget you. you. You've annoyed me too much with this year. I don't care if you die now. Uh, <laughs> but, but now that you mention it, and really, yeah, that it's, it's, it's her not doing a job, good job of putting a laptop on a table. That's the final trigger for me. Um, but, but how, so the photo was on the phone, right? And she put it onto the laptop, is that right? Or how did it, what happened here? Do you remember? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, she's using Apple products. So the thing that that's the problem, that's why, you know, filmmakers need to be smarter than this. Yeah. Like if you're going to use a Mac and an iPhone, you know, there's more than one way to access that photo. Yes, exactly. That was the other part of it that annoyed me is like, number one, she did that and broke her laptop Two, they're presenting it as if, it was like a hard copy or something, and she lost her only. And they burned the one photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Like, doesn't like she? Like memento. Yeah, <laughs> right. Is it doesn't she just? Did something happen to her phone? Did do we? Did she lose the phone too? Because I think if she like airdropped it, I don't even remember how she got it from the. Because uh, I think we saw the. Um, let's see. No, maybe that was the, uh, I started to say we saw the image of it downloading, but that was the photo that the kid took of her, but right. still she would, she would have had to have like airdropped it or something mm-hmm. on the phone. So yeah. what, what was the big deal about it getting deleted off of, they, but they treated that moment like, Oh, it, now it's gone. Yep. It's gone forever. You know? Yeah. Hopeless. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say, <clears throat> I hate to keep evoking better films, 
right now. But um, one of these days, I'd really love us to do an episode on a um, film called Searching with uh, John Cho. That's it's 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 basically completely formatted around uh, technology usage and social media, and it's probably one of the technologically smartest um, recent films that are uh, that are thrillers. Um, that I, that, that I would know, like there's always a backdoor way to find information that you think is totally lost and hopeless and stuff, um, from a user standpoint, not like a, you know, CSI hacker zoom and enhance standpoint, but like, so, um, anyway, that's again, a a better film, maybe for a different time, but yeah, uh, that's again, goes back to don't think too hard about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, (laughs) Clearly, there's more than one way to access that thing. Um, and also, come to think of it, <laughs> I guess since her laptop's broken, I guess it doesn't matter. But when her, the police officer um, comes to visit her in the hospital at the end, he gives her her phone and basically says, you have one hour to delete any incriminating evidence off of that thing, um, which I thought was kind of him. But at the same time, like, well, I guess it's a good thing our laptop's broken because I could probably just find it there too. Um, but then again, and, and it's probably just our screen too. Like if we really yeah. want to oh, like pick this totally thing apart, like the hard drive's probably fine. Let's hook it up to an external monitor. Like yes. I mean, right. oh gosh, nothing more fun than going tech geek on a movie plot. But <laughs> really, <laughs> oh man. I did. Oh. I did think of a couple other movies starring people from this cast that we should do at some point, and then a and then a third one, just somehow unrelated. But anyway, okay. um, so maybe maybe better stuff will come out of it. Well, you know, when we talk about better things, one more puzzling thing. So this film was di- directed by Joe Wright, and I don't know how we ended up on this project. Kind of like Gary Oldman, like just just a quick, um, just a quick filmography uh, of his. He um, he directed 2005's Pride and Prejudice, um, a 2007's Atonement. Both of these like were nominated for a lot of awards. Um, that Robert Downey Jr. Jamie Foxx film, The Soloist. Um, 2011's Hannah, the movie about the girl assassin. Um, now <clears throat> he did direct the 2015 Peter Pan movie with Hugh Jackman as uh, Captain Hook, I believe. That one was weird. They, the Lost Boys, were like singing "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and stuff. It, it was a weird movie. Anyway, but then speaking of Gary Oldman, he he directed Darkest Hour, the film that Gary Oldman played. Um, I just said his name earlier, Winston Churchill. And I think won an Academy Award for her. So like he goes from that to this. So it's really strange. And also, I don't know how much of Black Mirror you guys have ever seen. You guys watched much of Black Mirror? Mm-hmm. A little bit, yeah. Have you seen the social media episode um, with Bryce Dallas yeah. Howard? He directed uh, that episode. Oh, wow. Yeah, Nosedive, which was the episode that got me into that series. I had seen uh, somebody recommend that one. But uh, anyway, so just kind of strange that he gets uh, that he get that he that he gets here from there. So I, I looked up um, 
I looked up the budget of this movie and it's uh, $40 million. Um, and you think like compared to a lot of movies out there, like $40 million doesn't sound like a lot until we think back to the fact that, again, they basically had like one set. I was about to say movie. that probably paid the cast. It it was paying the cast, so I really I think it was just them throwing a ton of money at big names to for a, a minimal amount of work. I mean, apart from um, Amy Adams, the others, um, you know, had a pretty minimal amount of work. So, but th- but think about it though. Had had COVID not hit and this been a theatrical release with with a uh, with the right kind of trailers and a cast. Yeah. This right. stacked, they could have right. made that budget back in the first weekend. Right. And anything else would have been gravy. I mean, so, so I, I, I could see that being a calculated decision. Yeah. Um, so maybe streaming didn't work in its favor. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, any, any more shots for the woman in the window? <laughs> would, would it be all right? Hey, this is kind of a shot, but it's just... Uh, I wanted to share just a really quick thing. I'm going to post yeah. a link to it. Sure. Uh, about so I wanted to post. So you know, in looking kind of the behind the scenes things, I found this amazing article that the New Yorker did about um, Dan Mallory. So his, you know, he's he writes under the name AJ Finn. Um, you know, he wrote the book, and apparently, I mean, they just uncovered a lot of interesting things. So I want to read this quick little blurb. I'm going to post a link in our like, uh, you know, website and stuff. But so in February, so I'm reading just a quick Wikipedia, like a, a few sentences, just it, there's so much to it. But he kind of was exposed as like this uh, really like prodigious, like this uh, really ins- big liar, like in not just lying about little things, but like really large things about his life. Um, so, yeah, so it says in February 2019, an article in The New Yorker exposed Mallory as having fabricated numerous aspects of his life and career including having earned a doctorate from the University of Oxford. Um, something they didn't mention in this Wikipedia, but also he he was also, apparently he said that like he was the one who like encouraged, um, it was J.K. Rowling, her, when she did like the pen, what was the that book where she wrote the first one, like um, where she didn't write under her own name, like the casual vacancy or something like that. I feel really bad that I don't. Uh, I shouldn't I know. Books, I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. So he, he was telling people that he <laughs> encouraged editors to like publish it. Um, you know, he also, you know, he told people that he had suffered from cancer and a brain tumor, had lost his mother to cancer, had lost his brother to suicide. Um, and all these, of course, was not true. In fact, he faked like emails from his brother. It's just, there's so much. Um, so Mallory subsequently released a statement in which he admitted that his mother had survived cancer and that his brother was also still alive. And he said, while Mallory has attributed his deceptive behavior to his diagnosis of bipolar disorder, a psychiatrist interviewed in the New Yorker noted that one cannot attribute that to that diagnosis, delusions, amnesia, or chronic lying for secondary gain or to get attention. And I'll just, well, yeah, <laughs> one quick quote from the, from the Sorry. article. So what? If, if, I was just gonna say, if any of you guys know people with bipolar disorder like that, that's not how that works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like you don't because and, and and when they interviewed people that knew him, it was like, oh yeah, he was always trying to get ahead and find ways, and he would do a lot of devious things to do that. And in fact, 
the author of this uh, this piece said they read they had called a senior editor at like some New York publishing company to discuss their experience working with Mallory. And the person said, my God, the editor said with a laugh, I knew they said, I knew I'd get this call. I didn't know if it would be you. They said, I didn't know if it would be you or the FBI. That's fantastic. Okay. Um, and I, I'm just like, I'm just hitting the, I mean, I really highly recommend people to read. It's just, the, it's one of those things that like could be a movie. And then of course I find out that, there is going to be a movie about this. I was about to say, it sounds like a biopic would be more interesting than yeah. this. Film. And so apparently uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is supposed to be playing Mallory in a movie. And, and it's like, I, now I'm wondering, was this just like the long con? Like yeah. Mallory was even seeing past his lies. So like if I can have a crazy enough life, I'm going to be yeah. even more famous by a movie being made about my escapade. I, I don't know. I don't I'll know. tell you what you do <laughs> is you do this biopic like I like uh, I Tanya. Yeah, you you do the the unreliable narrator mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the biopic, so you never really know what the real story <laughs> is. That that would be money. I mean, I'd I'd watch that. Yeah. I, oh man, and Jake Gyllenhaal is a great choice. Like again, going back to a movie that mm-hmm. I've mentioned before that I want us to get to at some point is Nightcrawler. Oh you know? yeah, um, for his performance in that, and then just again my love of driving films in LA at night. So. Yes. <laughs> That's a, yeah, that checks all the boxes. <laughs> uh, Talk yeah. about how a movie makes you feel, Jared. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, well, the, the Dan Mallory thing, I remember that name now, like as soon as you said it, like I, I still like my brain wants to connect that to being the, the Oprah guy. But I do remember that name of him, you know, having this crazy story of all this stuff he had made up about his life. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll say for me, I I still completely hate the movie, but <laughs> I I will say to its credit, as as weird as it is, even though it feels like it came from a different movie, the the rooftop scene. I've I've never seen someone like it was like you pulled something straight out of Logan where yeah. it's you know a gardening like a three-pronged gardening tool going through the side of someone's face and like you really Well I'm not even sure if Logan had a sustained camera shot on a claw going through somebody's cheek. Yeah, yeah probably not. Probably not cuz he's still yeah. like mostly disguised like going through like you know, their chest or the back of their head or something right. not like, yeah, not that graphic. So yeah, Logan was, was frantically fast moving. There's a lot of spraying yeah. going on and stuff, but like, this is just like clunk and now yeah. it's stuck there. Yeah. Like a rake in the mud. And it, yeah. oh gosh. So I, that, that's probably my best, um, reason for if you want to see the movie if you want to see something that you haven't really <laughs> you haven't really seen before but you could probably just watch you could probably just pull that scene up on youtube at some point and watch that and not have to sit through the rest of the movie so <laughs> Golly, <man. laughs> oh gosh i'm afraid that's the part that i would fast forward through like it's just oh <laughs> just so brutal oh man and it's just so you know it's just so tonally disruptive you yeah. know right like oh gosh 
And you could tell no. they're really excited to use that. In the middle on it. I mean, I um. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No. Finish that statement. No, it's just funny. This. You could tell they're excited because you know he like stabs at her, she blocks it, but I don't feel like he even tried to like pull it out, you know, or like get. So theoretically, like now she has the knife and. When he mm-hmm. ran off, I don't think he knew there was going to be anything. You know, like, how did he know? Mm-hmm. So it's funny. I was like, oh, no, we could, I could just imagine, like, as they're trying to figure out the shoot, like, oh, no, how about this? We just, he'll just leave it there and run and just stumble on, you know. I don't know. I could, <laughs> we've never seen that before, you know. I don't <laughs> just kind of them kind of working up and brainstorming this. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll give them credit. Zack Snyder never came back to use the circular saw. And yeah, Army of the Dead, but boy, oh boy, did they use true. this thing. <laughs> Didn't even introduce Man. it. They just had him. <laughs> no, that's, that's <laughs> the next. Introduction and conclusion yep. in the same swing. <laughs> that's the next thing that I want to see from a Zack Snyder movie is to see a weapon that he introduced in a previous movie just all of a sudden <laughs> pop up and be used in a, in a future movie. <laughs> yes. That's going to be the Army of the Dead follow-up is now yeah. the Army that was made in the army of dead. All those people who died are now zombies and they're going to be using their weapons as zombies. Like so that. he'll be using the saw as a zombie using the saw now. Like oh that. gosh. Well, I, I think that probably about does it for a woman in the window. What would you say guys? That's all I got. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us, uh, for side effects may include, uh, if you want to give woman in the window a ride, you can um, check that out on Netflix. Um, and I will say this, um, not incredibly long movie. It's, it's just a little over an hour and a half. So, um, you know, a short runtime is nice these days with, with all these Zack Snyder movies we've been talking about lately. So, um, that's nice at least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, impressive cast, um, you know, doesn't maybe doesn't exactly deliver on the quality of the cast's talent. But um, if you've not, I don't know why somebody would be listening to this episode now and not having listened to the whole thing. But I was going to say, if you haven't listened to this whole episode yet and, you know, not been spoiled by it, it might be worth one watch for you. If you've got the Netflix subscription and you're looking for something to put on for one random night, it, you could do a lot worse. I'll, I'll say that. But for for all the people that just fast forward to like the last two minutes of our of our podcast, <laughs> yeah, all the people who treat our podcast like a NASCAR race, just uh, let's just watch the last two minutes just to see how it wraps up. Uh, you're waiting for that post credit scene that Tim throws in every week. We'll get you there. Uh, no, thanks for joining us. We will be back next time, and uh, until then, keep working on your night cheese. Look, look, Tim. You take a you take a gardening tool to the face. It's gonna it's gonna get you to reexamine all that. <laughs>